The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So last week, I was talking about the, uh, the aspect of wise effort in which we, um, we cultivate and look at wholesome qualities. Wise effort, uh, an aspect of the Eightfold Path, is kind of divided into two sections. One section is about letting go of, uh, releasing, um, avoiding unwholesome states that come out of greed, out of aversion, out of delusion. And the other side is cultivating and maintaining wholesome states of mind, those states that support us in moving towards happiness. And so last week I talked about one, uh, one particular list of wholesome qualities, the set of the Ten Perfections, which includes generosity, ethical, ethical conduct, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. And last week I talked a little bit about each of those qualities very briefly. And um, at the end, after, after the class, I asked a few people if there were any of those qualities they were particularly interested in hearing more about. And of the four people I asked, they all said two or three qualities, but every one of them mentioned equanimity. And so that's what I'd like to talk about today, is equanimity, one of those qualities of mind that supports us on our path. Now, equanimity is basically, I mean, what is equanimity? It's, it's basically a quality of balance of mind. We, we have balance around how we interact with other people. We have balance around uh, experience, what, whatever experience comes our way. When our mind is equanimous, it is basically non-reactive to whatever happens in our experience whether it's ways other people are acting or things that are happening to us or things that we're doing. One way I, um, I like to think about it is as mental balance and a kind of a definition uh, from my sense of it is it's a state in which we can feel we can make choices about how to respond to a situation rather than being pulled by automatic and habitual patterns of reactivity. So there's some various qualities that I'd like to draw out uh, around this balance of mind, around this non-reactivity. One is that uh, when we're equanimous about a situation, there's a feeling of spaciousness. It feels like there's room to move, to decide, to act, without having to automatically quickly react. Another aspect is a sense of ease with experience. Another aspect is acceptance. Accepting what's happening in our experience. Another aspect is impartiality. That we essentially don't take sides with experience, whether that's, you know, feeling like we're partial to pleasant experience or partial to something as simple as, you know, peas or green beans. You know, I prefer green beans or I prefer fruit instead of what I was offered. I mean, it may not be that it's actually unpleasant, but it's, it's kind of a preference. So there's a kind of a partiality that we have. So the uh, the quality of, of um, equanimity has this quality of not taking sides, of not being uh, partial. And yet it is not indifference. And sometimes when, I, when we think about that kind of impartiality of um, 
you know, well, it doesn't matter whether, you know, kind of an impartiality about what we receive in terms of food. It's like, well, it doesn't matter if it's green beans or if it's fruit or if it's peas. It doesn't matter. We have a sense of that. Well, it doesn't matter as being, I don't care. Kind of as, a, as an apathy or an indifference. And that's not quite the quality of equanimity. The quality of equanimity is willing to accept what comes. It's also not necessarily associated with non-action. I think that's another piece that when um, we talk about this quality of equanimity, we think it means, well, we just sit back and allow what comes or accept what comes. It means we don't take action. And that's not, again, that's not the flavor of equanimity. The flavor of equanimity is not being reactive to experience, but the, the balanced mind, the, the mind that is actually um, settled and non-reactive, actually has a much stronger ground out of which to make skillful choices, to choose to respond rather than to react. The mind that's equanimous and balanced isn't... Um, relying on a particular outcome of our action. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of balance also around the results. Gandhi actually um, really talked about this point, about action, that taking action from a, a a skillful place is what allows a more um, uh, best, it, it allows a more effective action when we're not anxious about what the results are going to be. And he said, if we're anxious about the results, well, here's a quote. He who is ever brooding over a result often loses nerve in the performance of duty. He becomes impatient and then gives vent to anger and begins to do unworthy things. He jumps from action to action, never remaining faithful to any. He who broods over results is like a man given over to the objects of senses. He's ever distracted. He says goodbye to all scruples, everything that is right in his estimation, and therefore resorts to means fair and foul to attain his end. So it's, it's less about the result in a way and more about the process. So this quality of equanimity is a pretty um, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, it's a really crucial quality to cultivate on our path. The Buddha talked about it quite a bit. Actually, he had, you know, in, in these lists that the Buddha had, uh, these various lists of um, um, qualities, various qualities. It's, it's found in at least three lists. The list of the Paramis, which I talked about last week the list of the Brahma-viharas, which is a kind of the, the list or the, it's the, what we might call the qualities of an open heart. And then it's found in the list of the seven factors of awakening. And in all of these lists, it's the last quality of the list, which generally is a position of emphasis or importance. That, that it's, it's, it's uh, partly that it, it is supported by all the other qualities in the list and that it is kind of the culmination of uh, all the other qualities in the list. So it's a pretty important quality to, uh, to attend to, to see if we can begin to resonate and connect with this 
experience the quality of equanimity itself. So I'd like to talk about a couple of ways to begin to explore this quality. How do we begin to actually cultivate equanimity? As in the aspect of wise effort, in the Buddhist teaching of wise effort, he suggests we cultivate wholesome states that have not yet arisen, and that we work to encourage or maintain wholesome states that have arisen. And so for many of us, I'd say, a lot of the work around equanimity is in the area of cultivating the quality of equanimity that has not yet arisen, because often we are reactive. And so how do we do that? How do we cultivate equanimity in the face of not having equanimity? So I'd like to talk about two ways in particular. I'll mention a third. I'll I'll mention all three. I don't think I'll get to the third one today. I I may get to it in in some weeks down the road. Um, So the first way to cultivate equanimity is to be is to be mindful of what makes us not equanimous. So to be mindful of where we're out of balance. The second way to cultivate equanimity is to um, begin to have an understanding of what the conditions are that support equanimity and create those conditions, see if we can work towards creating those conditions. This is a lot of actually how the practice works, that we don't actually go directly at trying to cultivate something. We look at what are the conditions that support it. Concentration, for instance. We can't say, be concentrated, but we can cultivate the conditions that support concentration. We can't really say, be equanimous in our minds, but we can begin to cultivate conditions that support it. And then the third way to um, cultivate equanimity is through what we could, what is uh, a formal equanimity practice, which is um, um, very similar to the practice of loving kindness, where we express in the practice of loving kindness we express phrases, wishes of happiness, of well-being to others. Um, The practice of equanimity is in that family of practices. And so it is also um, a reflective practice. We reflect on basically the, the, um, some of the conditions around what supports equanimity. And we, we do that with a, with a thoughtful process. We do it with thinking. So it's a reflective practice, this, this formal equanimity practice. So the first uh, way, I think, where we, we, a lot of us will start from is from this place of, well, I'm not very equanimous. My mind is not balanced. So how do I begin to, uh, to cultivate equanimity from that place? So essentially the opposite of equanimity is what we could call, is what, you know, reactivity. If equanimity is balance of mind, non-reactive, non-equanimity is being reactive being reactive around things we don't like. It's taking sides. It's being partial. I don't like that. I don't want that. That not liking, not wanting can lead further into more reaction, actually. Hostility or anger or frustration. So it kind of leads us down the road. When we take sides, when we're partial, it kind of leads us down the road towards a reacting to unpleasant experience. And on the other side, when things are pleasant, we like them, we want them, we can tend to get um, uh, tight around the wanting. We feel like we have to have something, that it becomes a need, not a simple wish. And in that feeling that something is a need, we, um, we do all kinds of things um, that are not very peaceful and happy in our minds. We, we, we grasp, we cling, we hold, we um, try to keep others from getting our things, we, um, we feel frustrated if we're not able to get the thing, we feel worried and fearful that we're going to lose it once we have it, we're continually worried about how to get the next thing like that. 
So it's not a very easeful and peaceful place to have that sense of, of need. Now I'm talking about needs that we construct in our mind. I mean, there's clearly needs that we have for life. I mean, we need to eat. And so, you know, that's, that's, we can look at how reactive we get around that kind of thing. So for instance, for myself, I used to be extremely reactive when I got hungry. And it would spill out into um, my relationships. It often seemed to happen while, uh, while I was on trips, you know, when we were driving around. You know, we'd be driving for longer, and it's like, well, we can't find the place to stop, and so we'd drive for another hour, and by that point, I'm just like crazy. And I would be, you know, yelling at the person who was driving, and it was just really a mess. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's, that's a way in which, I mean, there is a need, the bodily need, that the hunger is is talking about, but there's an additional kind of reactivity on top of that. At least for me, there was an additional reactivity that led me into an, a very aversive state. And at this point, I can recognize hunger's happening. And I know for myself, when I get that hungry, it's not a good time to make a decision. So I shouldn't be the one to pick the restaurant, and I maybe even shouldn't eat, even be the one to pick my food. So I will tell people I'm traveling with, you know, if I get, you know, I, I may get into a state like this, and so, you know, where I can't choose. So don't ask me to choose. Just pick someplace. <laughs> Just take me somewhere and put some food in front of me. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't get reactive anymore. I don't get that kind of reaction. Now, the, the body is still reacting. The body is still wanting that food. But the mind is no longer screaming about that. So this is the reactivity. This is kind of what we might call the optional reactivity around our experience. Often it feels like we don't have control over this reactivity. Like, you know, whatever it was, 15 years ago, when I, before I started practice and I was in this state, it didn't feel like I had an option about being crazy around needing food. It didn't feel like I had a choice. And so that's, um, that's one of the misunderstandings we have. And it's also, there is some truth to not having a choice as long as we're not able to be mindful. Because these patterns, they're, they're habits, they're, they're, they're kind of ways of reacting that... Um, are deeply ingrained in our experience. And if we're not able to be present and seeing what our minds are doing, it's just going to take the path of most familiarity. It's going to go down that route that it's gone down before. And it doesn't feel like there's much choice about that route. It's kind of the way the, the, the software in the brain has wired itself. It is possible to begin to unwire it. And the, the paradox of cultivating equanimity is that the first place we begin is by seeing if we can be balanced around imbalance. Can we be non-reactive to our reactivity? So that's kind of where we, we begin. We move towards equanimity by accepting the fact that we're reactive. Now this, this sounds maybe paradoxical, but the way it works, essentially, is that we become conscious of our reactivity. And instead of being uh, kind of blindly pulled around by our reactivity, at least we are aware we're being pulled around by our reactivity. That's like the first step. When we begin to see that we're being driven by our reactivity, the mind actually begins to understand the, uh, the suffering of that. It begins to understand the unskillfulness of that choice. It may not quite see it as a choice yet, but it begins to understand, oh, this is suffering. You know, this, <laughs> this is not, um, not a happy place to be. So in, in being willing to be conscious of 
uh, reactivity and hopefully balanced around, okay, yep, this is the state I get in. Now, that's kind of where I began with this hunger problem. You know, it's like, okay, when I, when I finally began meditating, it's like, okay, yep, this is the state I get in. At that point, it'd be more like I'd warn my, my person, the person I was with, you know, look, okay, I'm in this state. I can't even think. <laughs> you know, don't even talk to me right now. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's like I was aware that I was in that state, aware I was reactive. At this point, I don't even get that reactive. You know, it's more just the feeling of hunger. It's like, oh, food, I need food. And if I don't have that food, I can just recognize this is a really unpleasant experience. And so there's not that mental reactivity around it. And so turning towards our reactivity, being willing to be with us, okay, yep, this is ha- what's happening for me right now. It's the step, it's the beginning towards the uh, movement, towards letting go and uh, releasing that reactivity. Partly it works by the mind beginning to understand when it reacts, that way lies suffering. The mind itself begins to understand that it is contributing to this suffering. So in my experience of the hunger, there was the actual sensation, the unpleasantness of the hunger. And then there was all the mental reactivity, which made things way more unpleasant. So the, the mind begins to understand that that mental reactivity is, is an optional contribution to the situation. And seeing how much uh, more unhappiness unpleasantness, struggle, suffering it brings, the mind itself begins to let go. And I don't even, I don't remember ever having made a decision, I'm not going to be reactive to that hunger anymore. It began over time, over the years, and I don't even know how how many years it took. It probably took three or four years. (laughs) It took a while for that kind of reactivity to begin to diminish. And at some point I just began realizing, oh, you know, that doesn't, cause me that real mental distress anymore. I just recognize there's hunger. So turning towards our reactivity, this is a lot of how we cultivate equanimity. A key way, I think, of, um, there's a couple of key pieces around turning towards reactivity. One is to, to recognize, what is it that I'm actually reacting to? So, for instance, that I'll, I'll keep coming back to this hunger example. It's the one that popped up, so might as well use it. <laughs> um, so, you know, 15 years ago, before I was doing this practice, when I got really reactive, I thought at least part of my problem was that the person who was driving wasn't um, doing a good job of navigating. You know, they would be going a little fast, and I'd say, oh, there's a restaurant, and they couldn't stop. (laughs) And then I'd get really mad at them, you know. So um, what is it that you're actually reacting to? I mean, in, in exploring this over the years, what I saw was that I was reacting to the unpleasant feeling of the hunger. That was really the core reaction. And there was this sense of needing food fast, there was a reactivity to that as well. So begin to look at what is it that you're actually reacting to? What is actually the, the ground? What is that reactivity coming from? And to not judge the reactivity. You know, it's like your mind has been practicing that reactivity for a long time. It's been going down that path. It's a well-oiled, well grooved, well-worn track to go that way. A simple decision to say, oh, I don't want to react that way anymore, doesn't usually hold much weight in the face of that well-worn track. So acknowledging to yourself, okay, yep, this well-worn track is happening again. Of course it's happening. I've practiced it for years. So be kind to yourself around the fact that these 
um, reactive patterns come up. So with this kind of exploration, we begin to learn a little bit about equanimity um, through some, and it's helpful to, in this kind of exploration to begin to, uh, to recognize the little bits of perhaps spaciousness we might feel if we're in that place of being non-judgmental around our reactivity. We may feel a little bit more space around the pattern. So that gives us a little bit of, of um, breathing room to be non-reactive to our, uh, our reactivity. So that, that breathing room is the, the wisps of equanimity coming into your mind. It's beginning. Sometimes we might see, um, Actually, in a moment, we might see a wanting fall away, a craving fall away, a kind of a reactivity fall away. When we are really interested in observing our reactivity, at times we can actually recognize when that reactivity ends. You could play with this, with a small kind of reactivity. You know, you might not even think of it as reactivity, but a small kind of sense of, oh, that would be nice if I could have that thing, you know, that chocolate bar. You're walking by the checkout stand and there's the big candy stand there, you know, oh, that looks good, maybe I'll get one of those. And there's just, there's some wanting there. See if you can notice that wanting, notice that pull towards satisfying that wish, that desire, that feeling of wanting. And just see if you can recognize when it ends. At times, we can actually be there. Most of the time, I think, in our daily lives, what we'll notice is that, you know, so we see the candy there, we turn our backs to it, we start talking to the, the checkout person, we you know, get our groceries, we pay for them, and then we walk out. And maybe five minutes later, we realize, oh, I no longer have that wanting for that candy. You know, it's gone. So we haven't actually seen it disappear in a moment, but we, we see that we're no longer pulled by that desire. So again, that's, that's the, 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 the seeing the release or the, the letting go of a kind of a wanting gives us a little bit of a flavor of that equanimity. At times when we're practicing perhaps in meditation or on retreat, we might actually see the wanting disappear in a moment. And when you see that when you actually see that kind of craving of fulfilling a need release, in my experience, it feels like being let go of a vice grip, from a vice grip. It's like, and that's a real taste of that balance of mind for just a moment, a taste of what it's like to not be wanting something. So as we um, meet our reactivity with mindfulness, turn towards it, this strengthens equanimity. It begins to cultivate this quality of equanimity. And over time, kind of like the, the, the well-oiled path towards those, the reactivity becomes weaker. And the, the pull, the gravitational pull or the the path leading towards balance of mind becomes stronger. It's like we're, we're creating new habits, new patterns in our minds. A more subtle kind of um, reactivity is in the area of indifference. You know, when I talked about indifference bef before not being a, um, a kind of equanimity, that, that that's a, we, call it, we call it the near enemy of equanimity because it's kind of close in a way. It seems close to the experience of equanimity, but it is, um, it is not equanimity. So this is also an exploration. If we're um, 
noticing that kind of apathy or indifference or um, you know that sense of I don't care that's some that's a, a kind of a subtle form of reactivity to, to bring attention to the feeling of equanimity one of my my dear friends um, expressed it so beautifully she said when I feel like I don't care there's a little bit of imbalance there. What the balanced mind feels like is, I don't mind this. So noticing this shift in practice, for me this is a, an interesting exploration. When the mind moves towards indifference, you know, if you're, you're like you know, paying attention to some kind of experience, uh, some unpleasant experience, for example, a pain in the back, or something like that. The mind can kind of put a, a, a filter down, a haze down around that. It's like, oh yeah, I don't care about that, you know. I can deal with that, it's not a problem, you know. It's like, but there's a, there's a subtle kind of pushing away to that experience. So noticing that, uh, that kind of subtle reactivity. I mean, I can sit actually for quite a while with a pain in my back and just... With, with, an, with a habit that's so subtle, I, don't all, I hardly even notice it, that I'm paying attention to other experience and it feels like it's not a problem to be with that other experience with that pain in the background. But there's a very subtle kind of aversion there. A subtle like, oh yeah, it's not a problem. And then when I finally recognize, oh, there's this subtle aversion there and turn my experience to the that indifference and then the being with that pain itself, it's like the, the experience completely shifts. It doesn't feel any longer quite like that haze or that... Um, it's just like that's a veil. That indifference and apathy are kind of like a veil, kind of obstructing us from really meeting our experience. So just beginning to notice the shift that happens there. So then, um, in terms of the other side of the equation of, so looking at reactivity, cultivating balance of mind around looking at reactivity, one way to cultivate equanimity. Then there's some other ways, which is con- cultivating the conditions that support equanimity. And there's uh, one key um, teaching that is kind of the ground out of which equanimity grows. And that is said to be the understanding of karma, the understanding of the teaching of karma. So I'm not going to do a whole talk on karma right now. Um, but I'll just give the kind of the, the outline, the sketch of what the teaching on karma says. Basically, the teaching on karma is that uh, there's a natural law of cause and effect happening in terms of our experience. When we are acting motivated by unskillful motivations, when, our, when actions are, have unskillful motivations accompanying them, we are essentially cultivating more of those unskillful qualities and it's leading us in the direction of struggle, suffering, stress, unhappiness. If our actions are motivated by wholesome qualities, qualities of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, these are the the beautiful qualities of the paramis, generosity, kindness, patience, uh, equanimity. Uh, When our actions are motivated by these beautiful qualities, it leads us more towards happiness. And this is understood to be a natural law. It's like gravity. It's not a, a, a law that some person has decreed. You need to not act in these ways because it's unethical. You need to act in these ways because it's ethical. And the Buddha says it, it doesn't have anything to do with the human sense of what's good and bad or right and wrong. It's a natural 
unfolding in our minds that if we act out of greed, aversion, delusion, we're further cultivating greed, aversion, delusion, which leads us towards unhappiness. It leads us towards being caught by that reactivity and, a, and an experience of suffering and struggling in our experience. So this law of karma is this understanding, this natural law of understanding that our choices, the, the, the choices that we make and the motivation that accompanies those, that choice is crucial for us in terms of developing, uh, moving towards happiness, becoming happier. So these choice, the, the, essentially the Buddha actually points to the, the moments of choice and where can we make choice? The only place we can make a choice is in the present moment. That the moments of choice are really important for us to pay attention to. And what is the motivation accompanying that choice? So we can't always see this in the moment. This is where you know, mindfulness comes in. The more mindful we can be of the present moment, the more we can be aware of our choices and our motivations. And we can begin to choose not to act on unskillful motivations. And of course, when mindfulness is not present, it's kind of like that, that well-worn groove, our habits and patterns are kind of making the choices for us. And often those habits and patterns are reinforcing um, those very same uh, unwholesome tendencies. So this natural law Understanding this natural law, how does this contribute to equanimity? Um, there's, there's two ways I see it as contributing to equanimity. One is in the, uh, is in, with respect to other people, being balanced around other people. Um, when somebody is uh, doing something, you know, one of the first ways we can maybe think about this is with our with with children or with somebody that we care deeply about. If we see them doing something that is making them struggle, is making them feel unhappy, we see. Sometimes we can see the choices that they're making, and we wish they wouldn't make those choices. So what the teaching on karma basically emphasizes is that we have to make our own choices. Nobody can make our choices for us. And we have to reap either the benefits or the consequences of the choices that we make. Again, nobody can do it for us. So that the, the uh, understanding that people's happiness and unhappiness depends upon the choices that they've made and the motivation behind those choices, that I can't make your choices for you. This begins to guide us in the direction of being a little bit more balanced around the suffering of our, of our loved ones. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't try to help. It doesn't mean that we simply sit back and say, oh yeah, do your thing. You know, that's again, that's that kind of indifference. The balanced mind actually may make some action, may take some action, may, may suggest things to do. But again, to recognize that the choices we make are our own choices. And that we have to accept the fact that others are responsible for their own choices. So this is a way that um, uh, this, uh, this understanding cultivates balance of mind. With our own experience, what we begin to understand and recognize is it's kind of, as I was saying before, you know, we've been practicing various habits and patterns for a long time. So this understanding of, of course I'm reacting this way. I've practiced this way for a long time. This is a little bit of the understanding of karma coming into play to support a balanced mind around reactivity. We can see, okay, yes, the choices I've made in the past have been wearing this groove, oiling this path. It doesn't mean that I have to just give in to it and follow it now, but of course I'm reacting this way. For me, this has been a really helpful reflection. It's like, yes, this, this mind is doing this. It's a well-practiced route. 
So just to touch in briefly on the, um, uh, the cultivating equanimity in a formal way, it is this reflection on karma that is used in um, cultivating equanimity. So that, for, ex- for example, you might bring up a loved person in your mind, a, a, dear, a dear friend, a, a child, a, a, a parent, a, a partner. And um, the, the, the contemplation goes something like, here's the formal contemplation. Um, you are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions and your choices, not upon my wishes for you. Another way this might be, be framed is, I care about you deeply, but can't make your choices for you. You have to live, you, you are responsible for your own choices. So that kind of a reflection is what's used to cultivate um, equanimity in this formal way. Another way to create the conditions for equanimity is kind of along the lines of um, this, you know, the, this practice of equanimity is kind of like dropping wisdom into the mind. You know, we're, we're bringing the truth of karma, the, the reflection on how our happiness or unhappiness depends upon our choices into our mind. We're imbuing, we're kind of borrowing the wisdom of karma in this formal practice of equanimity. We can also borrow other kinds of wisdom. To, to support us moving in the direction of equanimity. A couple of my favorites, um, one related in a way to, uh, to karma is, this is nature. What's happening right now is a natural response, a natural arising based on all the things that have happened to me in the past. It couldn't be any other way. It's like a tree growing. You've, you've planted a seed and it's been watered and the tree sprouts and this is the tree that's growing right now. This is nature. What's happening right now is nature. That's a very helpful one for me. Um, one that the Buddha suggests, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am. This is an arising pattern. It's not me. It's just Anger arising. It's not my anger. It's not that I'm angry. It's anger arising. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. Um, This is dukkha. This is suffering. This is stress. That's another pointing to truth. That when something is coming up. And for me, this has also been helpful. It's like when I'm experiencing something that's stressful or difficult, recalling to myself, oh, this is stress. It's pointing me to, the, you know, the Buddha said, this is our path. Understand this stress. This is, this is not something to get mad about. This is, a, this is the way forward. And so for me, actually recalling, oh, this is, this is suffering. This is stress. This is dukkha can help bring some balance to the mind. And then the last piece that I'll offer in terms of a condition that supports equanimity um, is concentration and um, kind of a continuity of mindfulness, which is a form of concentration. When, when the mind is concentrated, it begins, you know, when the mind settles in concentration and comes into a stillness, a, a place of ease around experience, it's a kind of approximating this quality of equanimity. There's much less reactivity. And so we begin to see in a way, you know, so when the mind is a little more stable, either in kind of just staying with the breath or perhaps in uh, being a little more stable in the flow of changing experience, which is what we call moment-to-moment concentration. The mindfulness is steady, um, but there are many changing experiences. When the mindfulness is steady like that, or the mind is stabilized on an experience, there's not as much room for reactivity to come in because the the mind is present and being with experience. And so we can start to see in that kind of state the possibility of non-reactivity to things that might 
ordinarily make us reactive. And from seeing that, we begin to see, oh, it actually is optional, that reactivity. So we, we begin to, to get the, the taste or the possibility for uh, non-reactivity. You know, that where we think it's just automatic, this thing happens, I react. When we're in a state of concentration, we may see things that we normally react to and find it just kind of comes and goes. It's like, wow, it is not automatic. There is a space. It is possible to not react to that. And so that gives us a flavor of equanimity and begins to cultivate the conditions that support equanimity. So that's enough for me. <laughs> I've talked a lot today. Yeah, um, and we only have one mic here today because I'm using this one, so pass that one around. Two comments. One is that I really appreciate your focus the last few weeks on the qualities to be cultivated, the, the positive. Um, I, I like that, having that balance. And the second is that I, I gave myself a project a few months ago that I worked on, um, an equanimity project, which is being patient with customer service and people and bureaucracies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a great practice. And <laughs> yeah. it's been fantastic. I mean, I definitely have loosened up and was so constricted around, around um, it. And recently I was at my, a grocery store and I got in a line that people were fleeing from because there was a new check, checkout person. <laughs> and and, I, and it was, I, I, w- I totally practiced my patience and, you know, because every single item took a lot of time to process um, and but also I wanted to project patience because I didn't have like uh, iPhone to distract myself with and it was you know uh-huh. so it was a really good exercise because for her it allowed her to do what she needed to do to learn uh-huh. and for me it's you know it was like okay you know she's practicing I'm gonna stand here and look be patient and look patient uh huh uh-huh. and it was good for for all of us so was there actually the feeling of patience. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I said to myself, you know, I have time, and you know, everybody has to learn, and there's no reason for me to. Great. Me to be tight, feel tight about this. I'm just going to relax and watch, enjoy the process. So this reminds me of another way to cultivate the conditions for um, uh, wholesome qualities. Um, that so one of them is you can. It sounds like you were using some some wisdom in a way. I have time. I don't have anywhere to go right now. I, you know, so that it's kind of dropping in some spaciousness into your your mind that cultivates and brings in that quality of patience a little bit. And then the the uh, projecting uh, the quality of patience in your body. And this is actually a really great practice. Um, even if you're not feeling patient, you can. A kind of, um, or equanimous. I mean, if, if you're dealing with someone else, it's really, um, it's, an, it's an interesting practice to see, well, can I behave in a way that looks equanimous? Now, in that practice, really, really, really important not to suppress any actual impatience or reactivity that's happening in your mind. You know, it's like, okay, yep, I'm really impatient right now, but I'm going to you know, notice that and behave as though I were patient. Stand here calmly, not put a face, make a face, you know, just simple things, you know, really simple things. And um, when I've done that kind of thing, I've actually found there to be within a very short time, within minutes, there's often an inner transformation that happens because of that uh, willingness to... um, behave that way. Because those little behaviors, you know, the the quick movements, the jerkiness, the making a face, they're subtly motivated out of the impatience and are cultivating the impatience. And so if we can let go of that urge to act out of that impatience, even in those small ways, it begins to cultivate the opposite quality. But not, but definitely to not, um, uh, shove down or pretend, okay, yep, I'm really patient right now, <laughs> you know, that, to, to truly acknowledge what is happening inside. So thank and you for that. And I also, you know, for example, I, I would I'd say, okay, is my jaw relaxed? Uh-huh. And so yeah. it, it wasn't relaxed, so I relaxed it. 
because I know that that's what makes you look tense. Yes, um, yes. But then I felt more relaxed because I relaxed. Ex exactly, <laughs> exactly. It has a feedback. You know, we think of our mind impacting our body a lot. We understand that direction. I'm angry, it creates angry expressions, it creates angry movement, it creates angry words. We don't think so much about the other direction. There's so tight a coupling between mind and body that if we don't act that way, it actually rebounds on our minds. Yeah, great, thank you. That, the rebounding on our minds part? Okay. <laughs> um, so the, um, when we... Um, should I go from the beginning? <laughs> uh, so the, the... When we, we... There's a kind of a back and forth relationship between our bodies and minds. When our minds have a kind of reactivity inside, it can impact our bodies. And we're really familiar with that direction, I think. Um, and in fact, we revel in it in this culture. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's like we're supposed to be true to our feelings. And, you know, uh, you know, not repress our feelings means acting on them. And in this practice, what we're saying more is, well, not repressing our fe feelings means not shoving them down, acknowledging them, but perhaps not acting on them. And that very not acting on in the bodily realm has the impact back on our mind. It, it kind of rebounds on our mind. That if we behave peacefully, if we behave patiently, while acknowledging what's truly happening in our minds, you know, impatience is happening, and yet I'm going to try to behave patiently, then that very acting patiently has, a, has an internal uh, rebound on our minds. It... it, it tends to cultivate that inner quality that we are expressing externally. But only if we're not repressing the actual feeling inside. Oh, and last one. Well, that um, gives me the impression that maybe something, uh, I haven't heard it discussed uh, <coughs> relating to uh, meditation, is um, in addition to thinking or acknowledging the thoughts that come to you, be aware of the mind, uh, the effects from your body yes. that are accompanying that. Yes, yes. I sometimes say um, when thoughts arise, be aware of the impact it has on you. You know, it may create emotions, it may create bo other bodily sensations. And to, to be aware of that, not to repress it, but to recognize it. And that practice begins to help us in working in the world to not then act out on the uh, any difficult emotions that we might have. It can help us to recognize, oh yeah, when I have these thoughts, it makes me make faces. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all. And uh, I thought next week perhaps Patience. <laughs>